Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. In much less detail, the podcast where we cut through the noise and give you your NFL breakdown in much less detail. Here are your hosts, Jay and Dre. Y'all know what time it is. Time for a much less detailed podcast. Hello? Yes? Are you there? I am here. Oh, I didn't know if I was being heard. As I was saying, it's time for a much less detailed podcast here with you live on a Friday night, January the 5th, 2018. What a way to start off our new year. Me not knowing if I'm on the air or not. I'm Dre, he's Jay. That's all my fault. Jay texted me earlier today to get on the air or a little early to see if we can hear each other, make sure everything tested out okay, and... I was a little too wrapped up in my numbers and wound up getting on the air with 20 seconds to go. So that was not the early that Jason was talking about, I'm sure. It was it was not. Just to be just to be clear. I'm sitting here 3 4 minutes before the start of the show wondering if you were even going to be on the show. Like, uh-oh. Yeah, I, I was I was here. I was working away on my numbers. But on the positive uh, side, I'm I'm audible through my headset tonight. Everything seems to be working okay. The board works. I think I threw a curve there to you because I pa- I stopped the intro music because it was playing yeah. through you talking. So I yeah. So the board works. Everything works. So cross your fingers. We might actually be able to make it through a show problem free. We can only hope. No, I thought you were gonna start introducing the show when you stopped the music. That's what stopped me in my in my track. Oh. <laughs> No, no, no. I, I, I let I got, I got you into the I got you into the studio, so I figured it was going to be smooth sailing from that point. Then you stopped, and I was like, "Uh oh, he can't hear me," or something dropped, and and here we go again. But no, everything everything seems to be going well so far. Let's not screw it up. I mean, we we screw it up just by being on the air. Let's not make it worse. Right. Yeah, we've already screwed up. We're here. Sorry. Um, we are wide open for two hours live tonight, starting. 10 p.m. Central, 11 p.m. Eastern. We have all the breakdown that you could possibly hope for for the NFL playoffs starting tomorrow. And looking back a little bit on the uh, the events of Week 17, which put our playoff field together, how about the Baltimore Ravens, Jason? They had it on their racket. They had everything in their court, and they, they couldn't cover a slot receiver on third and 12, and as a result, they're out of the playoffs. Yeah, fourth and 12, actually. It was even worse than that. Yeah. Um, what did I say? What did I say when I made the pick? I said that would be so raven. Heretofar to this point in the season, we have not had that quintessential that's so Ravens moment. And oh boy, did the Ravens boy, did they wait? Did they wait till just the right moment? They waited until. 
what were virtually amounted to the very last play of the season, other than you know some desperation stuff after the the Bengals scored that touchdown with with, with which is what it had to be about what about forty five seconds half minute left to go in that game. So what a way to pull the that's so Ravens card. I think they saved up all of their that's so Ravens moments because this time they were just. They were going big, and they were going home. Yeah, <laughs> they found. You know, a they way. tell you to they go. They tell way. you to go big. They tell you to go big or go home. The Ravens went big and went home. In they in went just big a, on the refusing to cover somebody, and they went home. Yeah, yeah, and 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 only a, and only a way that the Ravens can do it. Um, one of our one of our winning picks. Uh, we were both all over the Bengals last week. Yeah, Baltimore's a nine-point favorite didn't smell right, even if it was Cincinnati, who we just knew was were, were going to punk out a, a, at the end of the year and, and fire their coach, but we still thought they could cover the nine points. So yeah. instead they win the game and, and they keep the coach. What? They kept the coach? Are you kidding me? All right. I'm not usually the guy who goes there, but you know, after the debacle that we just had here with John Gruden getting, basically getting the job with the Raiders, and then the Raiders decide, well, we're gonna we're gonna still bring in a couple black guys and interview them, even though it's a total sham, and then we're gonna give the job to Gruden, but we have to satisfy the Rooney. I'm gonna tell you what, Marvin Lewis should satisfy the Rooney rule to the point that they can just get rid of it. Because <laughs> you're ki- you kept that guy around, you kept the guy around who has basically lorded over a team with no discipline, no heart, no guts, cheap shot artists, underachieving Cincinnati Bengals. You're keeping that guy around. Breaking uh, into uh, breaking into Mel Brooks here, muggers, buggers. <laughs> Everybody on that team. So, so anybody out there who thinks uh, brother can't catch a break, Marvin Joe, Mar- Mar- Marvin, Marvin Lewis, there's your example. Right there. Uh, maybe, I'm saying this all of are... You know, I'm not. I'm not serious. But after the rant that I went on against Marvin Lewis on this show, so happy about the fact that he was finally going to get shit canned, I was mad about the fact that they were going to move him up to the front office. They decided he could do much more damage still being the head coach. Oh, sure. Why kick him upstairs? They're, they're doing so well as a franchise with him coaching. <laughs> what a no, joke. You're not kidding. You're the white, you're the white devil. We all know it. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, the, yeah. Uh, no this, is, this is affirmative action at work right here. Maybe the Bengals' ownership is keeping Marvin Lewis to make up for all the black guys that haven't gotten opportunities. They're just they're trying to make it all good with the one guy. <laughs> Just keep the one guy that doesn't deserve it around for 30 years. Marvin Lewis is going to wind up being the head coach through 2035. Just watch. Yeah, every time somebody wants to complain about the Rudy rule, they're like, no, no, look, see, see. see we there's that, the that guy. One. There's that one guy. Yeah, we, we still got we, one. We kept him. Look how terrible he is. We kept him. Come on. Should but never have to interview a we, black we, guy we, again. But look at it. This this was the year of the – this is the year of the let's keep the black coach – uh, Denver didn't get fired. Cleveland, Hugh Jackson, 0-16, didn't get fired. 
Todd oh, Bowles and didn't get fired. And Marvin yeah. Lewis didn't get fired. It's working. See? Black guys as a result, all these, suck just as bad at coaching as white guys can. All these teams that do have coaching openings now, they're really scrambling. Because all those four guys would be perfect to interview to satisfy those Rooney rules, but they still have jobs. They got to find other <laughs> black guys. They're going to be pulling guys out of from the from the viaducts underneath the the overpass. Hey, man, you you want to get an interview for a job? Yeah, come on in, come on in. You don't you don't need a tie or anything. Just come right on in. They got to find all these guys. They got to drag them from out of the street. They they're really upset. The Bears and and all these other openings that are happening. The Giants. They all got to find black guys to interview now. They're all pissed. Lovey Smith won't take their calls because he's in college now. They're, they're just co- completely scrambling at this point. But there, there you have it. So little, little, little bit of uh, drama all from one game. And it's, I'm glad that you went straight into the, the Marvin Lewis thing because if you had just started the show and asked me what I took away from that week, all the stuff that happened in week 17. Even the that was the thing that has jumped out to me the most was that the Bengals the day I saw that news story I I just my jaw dropped I'm like they did what two year extension yeah I know man yes I I had the same reaction like oh my god they just they 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 don't know how to yeah. quit them I just don't know how to quit you and it was and it wasn't it, it, yeah and I was I was sitting there I'm standing there I'm like man I wonder what Dre's thinking my reaction is to this right now <laughs> that's exactly what I was thinking I really was yeah I was like oh my god Jason is Jason's head is exploding right now <laughs> I almost almost got on Twitter that's how bad it was oh you know it's crazy if you almost get on Twitter and talk about it man yeah woo. So in a week in a week of craziness, uh, you know all these little and all these things that have happened since, um, you know, the, the, you've got everybody. It looks like in the Packers organization, other than Mike McCarthy, got fired. So if you're telling me he's not a dead man walking going into this next year, going into a lame duck year, uh, the writing's on the wall there too. Oh, no doubt they that. No GM comes in and keeps his coach around, uh, no. the guy that he inherits. He doesn't keep him around for too long, and we just saw that in Chicago because now Ryan Pace finally had the, the ammunition to kick John Fox out of there. Yeah. Now, John Fox was, quote-unquote, his first hire as GM. He wasn't really his hire. He was just no. – the, the, basically, the, 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 the ownership saw John Fox come free from Denver and said, we've got to get him. He's going to be your next head coach. And Ryan Pace was like, really? He is? Yeah, yeah, he is. He's going to be your next coach because he's got experience and he's just what we need. And in reality, he wasn't what Chicago needed. But the, but that's just an example. GMs want their own guy. They always want their own guy, and as well they should. And whoever comes in as the GM in Green Bay and gets to run the organization, eventually, whether it's a year from now or two years from now, will have his own guy. Yeah, I've got I've got a strong suspicion that this is probably one and done for Mike McCarthy. They they cleared everybody out. They cleared out the GM, both coordinators, offensive and defensive are gone. Uh he is on on an island. It's just him. It, it, you know, and the quarterback Aaron Rodgers, they're not getting rid of him. So, I have a feeling that we're going to get sort of a lame duck Mike McCarthy season here. Um he he'll be what they'll throw all of their negative feelings onto this next year. Cause he's still there. And, 
You'll have a quarterback trying to learn something, possibly a new system. You've got a defense in shambles. So uh, I, I think the thing that I've, you know, although if it goes the way that it seems to go for coaches that I rail against after this season, Mike McCarthy will get a two-year extension. <laughs> Completely I undeserved that, one. but but I was thinking Aaron Rodgers is his saving grace because if Aaron Rodgers does yeah. come back healthy and has a, a great season and leads Green Bay to a you know a thirteen and three type of season, then that that would save Mike McCarthy from getting canned right after the season is over. But anything short of that, I, I think I agree with you that uh, McCarthy would be coaching his last year. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think anything short of a deep playoff run, I, I think will kind of spell will spell the end there. Even though I mean his record is phenomenal, but you reach a point where you cannot clear out everybody around a coach um, without knowing that you're on borrowed time. No doubt. Uh, yeah, I was uh, laughing at uh, Baltimore not being able to keep Cincinnati out of the end zone. They lose their best cornerback uh, a couple weeks ago in Jimmy Smith, and this is the result. Uh, not that Jimmy Smith would have been covering the slot, but just the, the general breakdown. When you lose him, you have to move somebody over where he is, and someone else has to play where that person was. And It, it made perfect sense that eventually Cincinnati – uh, got a touchdown and, and beat the Baltimore passing defense uh, in order to knock them out of the playoffs. I was laughing at that. I was laughing at Marvin Lewis keeping his job, and I was laughing at the fact that Baltimore getting knocked out allowed the Buffalo Bills to yeah. sneak into the playoffs, one of the worst playoff teams by any metrics that you will ever find. They were terrible to watch. They were terrible on paper. They were the worst uh, I believe one of, if not the worst, uh, point differentials of any playoff team in history. Uh, they they actively were trying to tank. They actively traded away really good players. They actively made multiple really good players, players with an S, not just one, players. They tried to make themselves bad on purpose, and they tried to act like nobody would notice. And they somehow win nine games and back into the playoffs. I have absolutely no explanation for that, Jason. I, I I don't know what you could possibly make of that, but I don't know how the hell that happened. I want to say it's not even just the Bills. I want to say this might be the worst 5-6 tandem I've ever seen a conference produce. <laughs> uh, well, with we the know Titans how you feel about the Titans. And the Bills. Well, you know, I, I, I guess if the Titans have at least achieved one honor here, because both the Titans and the Bills were nine and seven. I guess I can no longer call the Titans the least impressive nine win team in the AFC oh in the God. NFL because the Buffalo Bills also won nine games. Um after starting out the season, I mean they they trade Sammy Watkins, they lost Robert Woods. You heard all sorts of things that you know Tyrod Taylor was on 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 a short leash and on borrowed time. This is the team that started Nathan Peterman. That team made the playoffs. The playoff team. The team that was trying to lose games. It just just absolutely terrible. Was it back when they started Peterman that we equated? Uh, that we were equating the, I think we may have made the equation of uh, the Bills to the the Cleveland Indians in Major League. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, it feels sure like enough. a long time ago. But here's what. But here's what happens. The Bills apparently must have reacted, or the, the players showed up and, and and had some pride, and they played enough. And then because of the Ravens uh, being so Ravens, there here are the Buffalo Bills going on the road into Jacksonville, into what on paper is an extremely, extremely lopsided matchup. You talk about point uh, differentials. Playoffs. Don't talk about yeah. playoffs. You kidding me? Talk about point playoffs. Point differentials, offensive and defensive rankings. It 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 looks on paper so lopsided, but hey, they're still gonna they're still gonna suit up. They're gonna play a game on Sunday, so we'll see. I'm not giving away a pick here or anything. The Titans at minus twenty two in point differential, making the playoffs looks like a joke yep. until you look at the Buffalo Bills minus fifty seven points yep. on the season. That is a playoff team wide. Open. I'm telling you, this league is wide open. I, I get. I guess um, the AFC. I mean, I understand is, is that it looks top heavy cloudy. when you when you think that uh, if you think New England and Pittsburgh are going to just stomp everybody and romp and, and make it to the AFC title game, I, I don't blame you at all for thinking that. For some reason, this year, this season. Nothing would surprise me. Nothing at you know, all would surprise me. So I, I sort of power ranked in my mind that the teams in the AFC today, in order that I thought were would be capable of going uh, to New England and and giving the Patriots all they can handle. Right. So I'm thinking in my mind, okay, you got these five teams left. Who is the most capable of going there? And 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 possibly upsetting the Patriots because that's like the whole thing. I just don't want to see them in, in the Super Bowl. And if we start seeing these teams knocked off, who I think have a good chance of going up there and and, and beating them, it's going to start to almost look almost predestined for them to to end up in the Super Bowl because the NFC I actually think is a much tighter, much more talented field. There's a lot more intrigue in the NFC. I do find the AFC a bit boring. Um, the, the games tomorrow, I don't find all that intriguing. I mean, we're still going to pick them. We're still going to, you know, we'll do our whole thing. But all the intrigue is going to definitely be this week for sure is in those two NFC matchups. I mean, Falcons, Rams, Saints, Panthers, much, much more intriguing matchups to me. It's going to be the next couple rounds in the AFC that I'm much more interested in. I'm going to be interested in seeing the two teams that end up in Pittsburgh and New England, and then eventually who ends up playing um, in that, in that championship. So all, all the intrigue for me in the AFC is going to be a little farther down the road. I am very interested in these games uh, over the weekend here in the NFC, because I do feel like the NFC is overall, it's stronger. Um, I think it's and I think it's it's deeper. I think that that the teams I don't think we have the, the as te- the teams that are as deeply flawed in the NFC as we have in the AFC. There are three teams playing this weekend with eleven wins. They're all NFC teams. None of the AFC teams have yeah. uh, more That's than what, ten. Yeah, and the Falcons have ten. There are no there's there's no way that either one of those two NFC teams were candidates for that 
god awful shoot me in the head uh three thirty central uh Saturday playoff game that is always the worst of the weekend. It was going to be one of the two AFC matchups. I'm actually a little surprised it wasn't Buffalo and Jacksonville because of how terrible uh Buffalo is as a playoff team. But believe it or not, that's noon on Sunday. You get to watch the Buffalo Bills at one o'clock Eastern time on Sunday afternoon for your NFL football playoff pleasure. And Boy, what a treat for everybody. What a treat for the country to get to see that game at noon on Sunday. I'll I'll be home watching it. Yay. <laughs> oh, God. I'll be watching it, too. I'm, I'll, I'll admit. I've got this. I ended up having to work six days this week, so I only had one day off this week. So I, I sort of parlayed that into making Sunday my sort of unofficial second day off for this week. So I worked that into a little three-day weekend here. Um, you know, so, so I'm, I'm, so that starts on Sunday for me and I'm, I'm excited to, you know, tomorrow I'll catch the, the, basically the f- first game I'll, fe- I'll catch mostly at work. Perfect, perfect game to be on while I'm at work. That, that Titans Chiefs game. Um, and then that second game I'll catch, uh, part, partially during my drive home and then, and then tomorrow evening. So at least I'll be able to somewhat relax we have to stop at a birthday party quick after i get off work and then i'm so i should be i should be able to catch the majority of that rams fabulous i have interest in that game being i have rooting interest in that game as well of course falcons your team yeah yeah well, for, for good or for bad and mostly bad there they are <laughs> and they're in the playoffs though uh and let's just for a moment here Somebody got off the hook in a big way this last week. And uh, Hmm. by virtue of the Falcons beating the Panthers in uh, what might be one of the worst quarterback games I've, I've seen in a while with that, that performance that Cam Newton had, that was, that was just dismal. I don't know if you watched that, but it was almost embarrassing watching Cam Newton try to play quarterback against the Atlanta Falcons. It was horrific. That was, and I mean, the Falcons' defense was on the spot. They they made three nice picks, but Cam Newton he, he couldn't hit anything. That was epic. How awful that was, and he just he he has those games. Um, he just does that. But by virtue of the Falcons winning, we have overshadowed a story that we've joked about all year long, and would have had even would have been way higher up in the show this week, and that is. Why on God's green earth did the Seattle Seahawks sign Blair Walsh, who once again missed yet another game-winning kick? Uh, I believe that 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 amounts to two, uh, since he missed the one short against the Falcons, and then he missed the one here against the uh, the, the the Cardinals, which was a shorter one. I believe it was only forty-four or forty-seven, mid-forties distance-wise. Missed another one. Um, had the Falcons lost, that could have been the kicks that sent them to the playoffs. Could you imagine? I mean, you got they gotta cut this guy, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't get it. And to for us to talk about a place kicker, you know, he's got to be terrible because we don't ever talk about yeah. kickers. But no, we don't talk about guys who go out there and nail. Yeah, I, I think the, the only, worst. I'm thinking back through this whole season, the, the the place kickers that we talked about this this year. One was my favorite name, Young Hoku, 
<laughs> and the other place kicker that we talked about was Robbie Gold because the Bears didn't need him, obviously. And what he was going on and that run that he had here at the end of the season with San Francisco, pretty, pretty impressive. So, yeah, but kickers don't get a whole lot of love on this show. But Blair Walsh gets talked about on our show way too much, and it's never in a good way. And the Bears, uh, we talked about briefly Roberto Aguayo because we couldn't believe how terrible he had been in Tampa Bay. The joke of the league is a second-round draft pick. And then the Bears yeah. pick him up and discover he's terrible. Well, of and course. Immediately cut him. Well, they didn't need Robbie Gould. They needed R- Roberto Aguayo. Yeah. And Connor Barth. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And just and just for the and for the sake of posterity. Who would have guessed Put that what all I all your money I, on the San Francisco Forty Niners? Who all would have guessed them. that what I I postulated this I believe as a joke back yeah. before when he started. And said, oh, wouldn't it be funny, you know, ah, watch what happens. They're going to run the table. They're going to go 5-0, and oh, Jimmy Garoppolo. And, oh, my God, they did it. He's never going to lose, ever, 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 ever. He's going 16-0 next year. Just watch. I, if I say it enough times, right I'm going to talk it into existence, I guess, is what it, I'm trying to do. It, <laughs> I haven't seen this you since insanity. <laughs> yeah, Jeremy Lin was the hottest shit for a while there. Uh, you, you, t- you talked five and zero oh into uh, reality, so I'm going to try to talk sixteen and zero oh into. Uh, <laughs> the Jeremy Lin thing was so funny. Just, that, yeah. just a very quick aside. You know what I remember about the Jeremy Lin thing was uh, as a gag, looking up what his uh, what the tickets were going to be when he was going to play. Uh, did, was he uh, was he a Nick when he was doing all this? He was with the crazy? Knicks. And so I think the Lakers were coming into town with Kobe Bryant, and I went on StubHub. I, I, I've never been to New York, so I wasn't going to the game, obviously. I was just, as a sort of a joke, I wanted to see how much tickets were going to be going for that game because the hype was going to be crazy. It was like $10,000 to sit courtside for that. For a regular season wow. game, with the Lakers and Knicks, because it was going to be Kobe Bryant versus Jeremy Lin in the height of Lin sanity. So just yeah. the, the the heights that people could go and the hype that's going to be around Jimmy Garoppolo all off season. And we talked about how crazy it's going to be, and it's only going to get crazier now that he's going to be able to say he's not going to be the one boasting it. But people can say he has never lost, and he turned San Francisco totally around because they went completely – undefeated since he came in. Now, as soon as we saw that the Rams were pinching everyone of consequence for that oh, game, we knew that. I mean, it was my lock of a week. Yeah, yeah, that was easy. But yeah, he did it. it. Just, he did it. They he went 5-0. and oh, And they would, uh, the first four of those, every team got higher in difficulty. It was like a video game, you know. Every, every, every level, you had a, a harder boss fight. And it was like, you know. And he just kept going through and winning and you know they beat the, they put 44 up on the Jaguars knocked them out of being the number 1 defense in the league knocked them down to number 2 uh so the Jaguars were number 1 all year long so they had to play Jimmy Garoppolo but no I am I'm am with you I have taken your suggestion to heart and 
we have officially renamed the Houston Texans award <laughs> as the Jimmy Garoppolo preseason cheek pick to make the postseason because oh. it, it, we're going to get a whole off season of this. It's going to, it's going to be more than just little rumblings about a team who some people kind of like, cause they finished the season hot. This is Jimmy Garoppolo getting traded out from under, and especially with all the, the, the turmoil reports that we're getting out of uh, New England. And the Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be like legendary if he goes on and, and wins a Super Bowl or does any of those things or has an amazing career. Uh, it, it's just going to become even bigger because of all this stuff with his exit and how he was, was he forced out of New England? Did, did, did Robert Kraft tell Bill Belichick he's got to trade Jimmy because they're riding with Tom Brady and Tom Brady doesn't want a, a, the backup that's threatening him. If, if Jimmy Garoppolo goes there and does something, one, this will look like one of the most lopsided trades we've seen. Um, and it's just going to grow, you know, the hype machine and everything. But yeah, he went there and they went five and all with, with an absolute dog shit team. With, with pretty much nobody around him and uh, took a few weeks. He made believer out of me and uh, made believer out of you too. I believe, I believe in the power of Jimmy Garoppolo. Now you beat me to it. Uh, the Patriot, he's so great that the Patriots are bickering over who, who's, whose fault it is that he got traded and who yeah. made him get traded and who forced him out and who let him go. And, who made that decision? It, it's it's turning into a soap opera now, and this this is going to be crazy. This offseason is going to be absolutely insane. I, I I would say I can't wait for it, but I have to pay Bart Scott royalties if I use that, so I can't uh, can't, can't wait. But uh, yeah, it, it's going to be crazy. You know, I don't know what the video game analogy would be, though, because if he if beating the Rams is getting to Mike Tyson on Mike Tyson's punch out, then I don't know how you put a handicap on when you actually get to the Mike Tyson level and he's benched every one of his starters. I mean, that's not yeah. – they didn't beat Mike Tyson. The, the Niners didn't beat the actual Rams. They, they beat a shell of the Rams. The the peak, I think the peak was going to be with Jacksonville. What they did in that Jacksonville game, putting up the 44. Once the Rams sort of had everything figured out and locked up and there was really no reason, major reason for the Rams to play everybody, it was but, – but also, keep in mind, it made it almost inevitable, a foregone conclusion, that the garbage Niners – the only difference was they now had Jimmy Garoppolo their quarterback. Now instantly became lock of the week material against the Rams, <laughs> and it was one of the more lopsided results of the weekend. Insane. Oh, speaking of lopsided results of the weekend, how about your coin of privilege? Wow, he goes you know, down just, and he goes down hot. That might be the worst we've ever seen from the flip of a coin, <laughs> picking football games. Because you would just assume the coin would be around 500. No, no, no. The coin was 2 and 14. 2 and 14. That's not just bad for a coin. That, I believe, is the worst of all time because I don't think either one of us have had a week where we had less than two wins. In the entire 20-something year history that we've been picking every single NFL game. 
there's a there's a chance that we have maybe thrown up a two during like a uh, bye week time, you know. Um, but never worse than two. I don't remember boy, having a one in anything week. No, or that or would be, winless week. That would be something. No, usually the really awful weeks for us are fours and fives. I mean, those right. are usually the ones that we look at as like the punches in the gut. But no, two and fourteen. So we crushed. We we split our eight. Um, as I figured we would, in, in, in a way only we can, managed to take eight games and split those right down the middle. Um, and I have to say, this week 17 felt the least like a week 17 than I've ever seen before because I really did appreciate the way that they scheduled that, where the, the crap games were early and they made sure they went out of their way that all the teams that were playing for something played at the same time, so you had so nobody really got that chance to to mail it in, and it felt like as close to a normal week of football as I can ever remember seeing in a week seventeen. The networks even played a role in it because if you notice, they did not put the uh, out of town score. They didn't have that rolling scoreboard underneath the the game for most of the game. It, there were times where they had it up, but for the most part, they kept it off, and I don't have any information, but I think it was because they didn't want the other the, the teams on the field to even accidentally catch a feed or catch some kind of information about what was going on in the other games because they didn't want to take the chance to have that influencing what was happening on the field. So even if it had nothing to do with it, though, even if it was just a decision to keep the people in the game who were watching, just the viewers at home, to make sure that they were – completely focused on the game and weren't trying to pay attention to the other scores unless they wanted to go to their phones and find those other scores. I actually appreciated the effort that Fox made. I don't I, I uh, don't remember CBS did it for their game that they were doing. Of course, we got the, the Titans game down here against the uh, Jaguars. Uh, I think they may have done it too. But I was for the most part, I was watching that uh, Falcons game uh, against the Panthers. And Fox definitely yeah. was keeping that out-of-town scoreboard off of the screen so that you could just focus on Falcons versus Panthers, Falcons trying to win in their end and get in the playoffs and just keep the story right there. They broke in with updates when there were scores happening in the games that uh, that affected Atlanta, uh, such as the, the Saints game. Uh, but for the most part, it was just straight coverage of that game, and I appreciated that. Of course, I was uh, red zoning it for a while. That Packers game got so out of hand. I don't even think the Packer fans minded it, it, my work that I switched it over to red zone about midway through the fourth quarter. I was like, you know, eh, it's kind of blowout territory here. That that didn't go so well there <laughs> for the Packers, boys. And, and I, I'd be curious to know. Uh, when we have time, how my Lions did for me in, the, in that five-game run um, where I had taken them, where we said, hey, one of these teams is, you know, if you put your money on them, that they'll win more than they lose. I think I actually came through on that bet. Oh, I can scroll right up and I know that the, I know the Lions had at least – I know they had to have at least three. I know they had three covers there in that run. Well, week 13, they got blown out by Baltimore. Yeah, it didn't uh, start so 14, good for me. Week 14, they beat Tampa in that game where there was no spread because they didn't know if Matthew Stafford was going to play or not. Ah. Uh, so I got a, a freebie? I mean, a, right. I don't know if you could have made 
any money on Vegas uh, on that one, but for yeah. our purposes, a win is a win. Uh, week 15, they, of course, uh, beat the Bears because everybody beats the Bears. Week 16, Detroit. Uh, oh, that was a that was a loss to the Bengals. That yeah, yep. that was one. That was actually my lot that week. Yeah, that was bad. And then they and then they ran blew the doors off. So three and two for our purposes. So eh, all right, three and two. Yep. Uh, yeah, I was very excited about being over five hundred with you for week seventeen and in, in the coin flip week that we don't know what the hell is going to happen. We managed nine and seven, so that was great. And then I saw what the coin did, and I was like, oh, my God, we destroyed the coin. We finally broke that curse. Like you said, it, it was the, the curse that seemed to, to follow us every time we did the coin. Uh, I, I went back. Uh, I, these numbers that I was uh, playing with, uh, for the for uh, I have a blog post up, by the way, for anyone who's interested, really – getting deep into some of my favorite numbers, the uh, yards per catch and yards per attempt and seeing how those numbers uh, are affected when teams take those numbers into the playoffs. Uh, how does it affect them? A uh, lot of information up there. Hopefully something uh, you can use, whoever is out there would like to read that. But uh, in going back through the years, through all of our picks, I, was, I went back all the way to 2010. I did not see any records for uh, for the coin back then, so I don't think we started doing that until uh, 2011. That's the earliest that I have records for that. And uh, in all of those years of uh, flipping a coin in week 17, the coin had beaten one or both of us every single year, except <laughs> oh wait, so you say until, until you took over coin flipping duties this yeah. year. There you go. And the coin just got evil. All over it, from the from being the coin of privilege. You talking about the it's going from a dime to a quarter. And it's gonna overshadow what I was doing and make sure that everyone can see the shining light. And ooh, that didn't go so well for the coin of privilege. So I, I was very happy about that. And, and and keep in mind that we're gloating about beating the flip of a coin. That that but again, that's what week seventeen does to you. Fuck you, coin. Yeah, who's the man? Damn right, I'm yeah. pumped up about beating a coin. We showed that quarter. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the, as I was saying, uh, uh, at our blog site, which is, of course, uh, in much less detail, .blogspot.com, uh, you can go through the years and see all of our picks going back to, I think, 2009, 2010. And then today I wrote a post. Uh, basically, I was very curious, uh, sitting here with some time on my hands, I was wondering the last couple of days about teams that are what I sort of call uh, elite offenses or elite defenses, uh, the teams that have a big number uh, of yards uh, on the run uh, and a big number of yards in the air uh, per play, which is my, my favorite stat that I always fall back on yards per carry and yards per attempt. So uh, through the years, I've always noticed that sort of an average, not a not a perfect average. I did not do the numbers to figure out what the average uh, NFL yards per carry and yards per attempt are every year. But in general, I've noticed that a baseline, uh, sort of a mean for yards per uh, attempt is always four. That's sort of a 
average run offense or run defense. And for uh, passing, it's always been seven. That's sort of an average passing offense gets seven yards per attempt or gives up seven yards per attempt on defense. So I, what I did was I took uh, sort of the, uh, the the outliers of both of those, and I tried to see if there's a big difference between the teams that have an elite run offense, an elite passing offense, uh, a subpar running offense or subpar running defense. I took all those numbers. I made up my own little categories for them. Uh, I went down a half yard uh, each way so that – if four is sort of average in yards per carry, then 3.5, I said, would be an elite run defense that only gives up three and a half yards per carry or less. An elite run offense would be an offense that averages four and a half yards per carry or more. Uh, and for passing, six and a half for an elite passing uh, defense and seven and a half for an elite passing offense. And going the other way, what I call subpar, uh, on the other side of that. And I wanted to see, was there a big difference? Is, where where was the edge? I was trying to see if there's an edge, if there's one side of that you really want to bet because, you know, the uh, the canards out there are you, you win championships with defense uh, or you win championships with running the football. you got to be tough. you got to be able to run. You can't win a title without being able to run. And I, I'm not saying there's any kind of world-changing information in, in all these numbers that I crunch, but there are some interesting things, things that were interesting to me that came out of uh, crunching those numbers and figuring out what's true, what's false. Uh, bottom line is I found that by far the uh, category out of those uh, sort of eight elite run and, and elite pass and subpar run to subpar pass out of those uh, sort of eight breakdowns, the most successful in the playoffs of those teams by far would be the teams that came in with an elite passing defense. When you think about uh, the, the, the uh, 49ers teams that, that were feuding with the, uh, the Legion of Boom Seahawks uh, in the middle of this decade, uh, there were, there's a lot of games won, straight up and against the spread by those big-time uh, defenses. It really wasn't so much about run defense or passing offense. Those are those are good. Those are, it, it's always good to have uh, a good, uh, what I call elite run defense, uh, elite passing offense, but by far the best percentage was betting on teams that had an elite passing defense. And I also found that having uh, an elite running offense doesn't matter as much and that that actually was a, a 500 proposition against the spread and it didn't didn't matter so much if you had a subpar uh defense that was around 500 as well uh the the defense almost didn't matter it, it, can you carry a, a top-notch offense uh passing game that's what really made the difference offensively was passing and defensively it was definitely about stopping the pass. The, the teams that can stop the pass, those are definitely the teams that had the most success. But all those gory numbers are, are up there uh, on my latest blog post if you want to get into all that. And uh, I, I thought it was kind of compelling. There, there's some things in there I think that would be uh, interesting to uh, to a football fan. So did is that informing your picks? A little bit. Uh, I, okay. I definitely looked at the, uh, my little charts and saw who fit those descriptions for this uh, this year's playoffs, and I think that made a. Uh, uh, I think that's why I got into it a little bit as well too, because 
this playoffs to me seems to be so wide open. I kind of wanted to see if there was more of a, of an edge, if there was a way that I could understand these teams a little better. Uh, as much as you can joke about the Buffalo Bills, and I definitely will have all the jokes that I can make about the Buffalo Bills, that team they're playing against uh, the, the Jaguars, I don't trust them too much either. I don't know too much about them. So I, I was kind of looking, you know, what's the profile? What, what's the team uh, that you would be more successful in going with that profile instead of trying to sort of guess and figure out who's going to play, uh, you know, who's going to do what at what time during the playoffs. So I, I got what I think are, are the uh, the profiles that you would want to dig into there uh, up on my blog site. And it's not just for this year. I think you can apply that to uh, to the future as well. Oh, well, it'll be interesting as we uh, progress into the pick segment here of the show and see how you, you applied those those stats. I always love it when you come up with something new this late in the season. Yeah, it's because you get to laugh at me. Well, hopefully I'll be laughing at you next week for your results this week. Uh, so, yeah, it's about time to get into playoff season officially where we make our picks, our, our X factors. We get into these playoff games as much as we can. As you know, uh, I, I don't want to say for entertainment purposes only, but I, I, I will say we're doing this to because we enjoy talking about football. We enjoy getting pumped up and ready. For the playoff games, you can put as much value on it as you want, as little or as much, but it's really just about talking about these football teams, talking about these playoff teams, and getting ready for playoff football, which is always uh, very, very exciting for both of us. So, because uh, I can get the, the, the plugs really, really quick about where you can listen to us, you're listening live to blogtalkradio.com slash in much less detail. To listen as a podcast after the show is over, uh, you can come back to this page and, and go through the archives, or you can subscribe uh, on many different places, and the show will be automatically uploaded to you when it is ready. You can subscribe on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe on many different podcasting apps. Just search for In Much Less Detail, the podcast, and hopefully it will be there on your app, and you can hit that subscribe button, and it will come to you when it's ready. You can communicate with the show via email. You can send that to inmuchlessdetail at gmail.com. Uh, I told you about our blog site, inmuchlessdetail.blogspot.com. Our pics will be up there after the show is over. And you can hit me on Twitter at IMLDDre. And I just got a follow actually during the show, which is very interesting. I hope whoever is following is listening and enjoying what he's hearing, or she. And you can follow Jason on Twitter at IMLDJTG. And... With that, uh, without further ado, I think we're ready to pick some playoff picks. Yeah. Yeah, there's only so much that you can talk about. I think we, we really did cover that sort of essence of Week 17. So much not worth talking about, so I'm glad we didn't. Yeah, I didn't want to talk about James Harrison having two mop-up sacks for the for the Patriots. Because I don't think <laughs> Completely meaningless. Necessarily. Completely meaningless sacks. Completely meaningless. I didn't want to talk about how terrible Nick Foles looked for the Eagles because he's not playing this week anyway, so it doesn't really matter. We'll get into him. Oh, well, we can save that. We'll, we can save that for one more week. We cannot save Titans Chiefs. It is coming up tomorrow afternoon at nothing, 3.30. Nothing, nothing can save Titans Chiefs. Nothing. 
nothing will save John Gruden from the Titans Chiefs, even though he's coaching the Raiders. Is he still calling that game? The last time I'd read, he was still calling that game for, for ESPN. Is that that's what I heard? Can because happen, can it? He's well, he's not being officially announced as the Raiders head coach until Tuesday. So he's not the head coach yet. He, he, Okay, your two AFC playoff teams sitting up there with a broadcaster who you know is looking for any information that he can get because he's about to be coaching against you next season. What? Well, that 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 can't be. That can't. That doesn't sound right. That can't. No different. No different than he was sitting in the stands or watching the game on TV. No, except he's sitting there trying to interview me, uh, pretending like he's getting information for his broadcast. <laughs> Now I think maybe they'll all be a little bit more tight-lipped around him tomorrow. I would sure hope so. Anyway, Tennessee at nine and seven visits Kansas City, the AFC West champions, at ten and six. Tennessee was three and five on the road this season. The Chiefs were six and two at home. Uh, nothing significant on the weather forecast for any of these games uh, this weekend. Tomorrow's going to be cold. It's cold in the Midwest, in case you were not aware of that. I, I know Jason's aware of that. And I'm very oh, aware. I, I, it's been very cold down here in, in Memphis for, for, you know, for Memphis weather anyway. Uh, I, I, I can't talk to you too much about it because you're in Wisconsin, so you're going to be like, shut up. So I won't even go there. It was uh, minus 15 the other day when I was driving to work. Yeah, God, it just hurts to hear that. My God, that's – I don't know how you humans live up there. I really don't. Uh, Us people were made for the cold. <laughs> I was going to say something about that. I was going to say I don't know how you people live up there, but – What I do you mean, you people? We're doing all like, all we can to avoid talking about Titans Chiefs because it's Titans. This is what we used to do when we did this on the phone, by the way. And two hours later, we'd be like, what game are we talking about? Oh, yeah, this one. Yeah. Um, or we'd finally say, oh, shit, we got to pick that game, don't we? I, I, uh, I'll briefly cut you off and say it might be a good time to go over our scoring system for the playoffs. Ah, that's something I forgot to do. So, we take our percentages uh, at the end of the year. We we like to pick every single game so that we can get the raw percentage because that's the, the accurate way to get the raw percentage. We could cherry pick and say we're going to pick these five games every week, but that's not really a, a true test of how good of a picker you are now, is it? So, we pick every single game. We take our percentage at the end of the year, take that percentage – I made up this point system many, many years ago. It probably sounds silly, but that's what we've been using. We take the percentage, we multiply that by 200, we come up with something that's going to be close to 100. If you're just, for example, if you're 500 on the season, you're going to multiply that by 200, we come up with an even 100, of course. Uh, and you're going to take that, you're going to add two points to it for every wild card game that you win. Pushes mean losses. That's zero points for both for both people if there's a push. So we don't want any pushes unless we're in the lead. Uh, but a wild card game is two points each. Next week is the divisional round, which I like to call the conference semifinals because I think division round is a stupid name. It's three points each for divisional round games. The conference finals are worth four points each. The Super Bowl is worth a big five points, and whoever has the most points after that 
is the champion of the season. A couple years ago, we introduced a bonus point for the person who wins the most number of locks during the season. What a terrible season for locks. I was 8-9, and nine, and that was two games better than Jason, who was 6 and would that be 11? Uh, yeah. So I get this, that. Is, this is this one season removed from me winning like 12 or 13 locks. I, I'm so embarrassed. Well, as always next year. Uh, so I get that extra point for the lock bonus added to my 510 percentage uh, winning percentage for the season uh, to Jason's 465 winning percentage. That means Jason is starting the season or the postseason with 92.9 playoff points. I am starting with 103.1 playoff points. Uh, so you can kind of drop those uh, the last digits there because there's no uh, advantage for the, the, the point one or the point nine or whatever. So basically you're, you're at 92 and I'm at 103. So I got 11 points on you to start the playoffs, uh, which can be made up. It can't be made up all this I've, week because there's only I've eight come back on from worse. I've come it back from worse. It can be made up. Absolutely. So that is our ridiculous, crazy scoring system, take it or leave it. So that's where we're starting off. We have to talk about this game eventually. I know you're trying to avoid it, but we, we got to get to it. Uh, now, anything in the is. news? Tennessee. Anything in the news going on? <laughs> <laughs> Boy, that book about Trump is going to be a barn burner. My God, it's going to set the world on fire. Woo. Boy, <laughs> well, if Trump doesn't do it first. <laughs> he's, he's trying. Uh, all right. Titans at 9-7 and seven are eight-and-a-half-point underdogs at the 10-6 and six Chiefs. Jason, who you got? Well, it's a lot of points. Boy, a uh, couple of ways that I look at this game. You've got the the Chiefs with that with that sort of meteoric start with, with Alex Smith, how awesome he was at the start of the season, all the MVP talk. I mean, it obviously it wasn't sustainable. I don't even I don't even know how often we talked about the fact that it just it just couldn't last, and that you have the Chiefs go through that that midseason lull that brings them all the way back to the pack, it has us all of a sudden talking about the joke teams in that division, like the Raiders and the Chargers, as as potential division winners, and then the Chiefs rally, win a bunch of games at the end secure the division, they get that home game. And here they are hosting what we've joked about, what seemed like for four or five weeks as the least impressive eight-win team in football because once the Titans got to eight, they, they, they pretty much stopped and then won the one when they had to at the end against Jacksonville. No DeMarco Murray. That's uh, probably, I know you didn't talk a lot about the big injury news. That's the big injury news going into the game. But I'm sort of on your side with the whole DeMarco Murray thing. No, less DeMarco Murray means more Derrick Henry, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing for the Tennessee Titans. The Chiefs have had to work through this whole season without Eric Berry, and you've watched this sort of like devolution of that Chiefs defense into into a big shell of itself. And they don't stop teams like the Titans particularly well. Uh, what I'm talking about are those read option quarterbacks. Um, they, they way over pursue at the point of attack. Their linebackers get lost. They go after the wrong guy. That's the only thing 
that Marcus Mariota can do. He doesn't throw the ball or hasn't thrown the ball particularly well this year. Uh, His touchdown-to-pick ratio was uh, underwater. It's not where you want it to be. And we know that the Titans are pretty much going to be a one-trick pony. They're going to do the read option. Mariota's either going to run with it or he's going to give that ball, and you're going to have Derrick Henry just plow right up the gut and abuse that Kansas City defense. I actually do believe that that is going to be enough, not necessarily to take the Titans all the way to the victory, but I picked the score of every game. And I picked this as a close, low-scoring game. I think it's going to be ugly. It's going to be exactly what we want or expect. I shouldn't say want. It's what we expect out of this Saturday afternoon matchup. It's going to be painful to watch. It might be compelling and because it's, it's competitive score-wise, but I think it's going to be some ugly football. So I'm going to go ahead here. I'm going to take the points and the Titans because I do think that they match up well with where the Chiefs are weak, uh, which is against those sort of mobile quarterbacks. They've had problems with them all year long. Um, I think that the Titans will be able to move the ball. And where Eric Berry is going to be sorely missed out there at that out there at that safety position, I think is going to be if they're going to be able to make gains in the passing game, that's prime territory for Marcus Mariota to throw it to his best receiver, who is Delaney Walker maybe moving the chains over the middle. It's going to be ugly. It's going to be low scoring. But I'm going to take the Titans and the points. I picked the score of all of these games. I've got the Chiefs winning this one, 19-17. All right. Well, as I talked about those uh, fun with numbers that I had with who's elite and who's subpar, Uh, Kansas City is one of those rare teams that after all the trials and tribulations that that offense went through all year, they're still going to bring what by my definition is an elite offense uh, into this game. They still wound up 4.7 yards per carry as a team and eight yards as a, as a passing offense, uh, even with everything that Alex Smith was going through. Uh, the last quarter of the season or so. So uh, keep that in mind for when you do read my column, my article, and look for teams that are uh, an elite offense in running and passing. It's pretty rare, and the success rate for those teams is uh, something you might want to consider when you're looking at uh, who you're going to put your money on this weekend. Uh, Tennessee and Kansas City – I think right off the bat, I I look at Travis Kelsey and how he should just get work all day for the Chiefs in the middle uh, of that defense because when you try to work tight against the Titans, they they can come for you. They can gum up the run. They they can not – I I don't want to say they can shut down the run, but they they are tough. They don't get destroyed on the ground by anybody. Nobody runs – around and, and, and over the Tennessee Titans. And in the air, they're, they're not too bad in coverage. Uh, they can definitely get pressure if you, if you try to take too long. Uh, but Derek Morgan, Jarrell Casey, Brian Arakpo still gets up there and, and gets some pressures as well. So uh, and, and pressuring Alex Smith is a must. That is the only way to, to get to Kansas City is to – make Alex Smith feel rushed and pressured because if he has time to sit back there, he's so smart. He, he's, he's such a 
different quarterback when he's able to be short and smart and quick. It's light years difference between that and when he's being pressured. When he's being pressured, he looks a lot like Mariota, uh, which is hurried and flustered and throwing the ball up for grabs and making throws, which make you go, what, what are you doing? What, what was that? So that's the only way Tennessee has any chance to stay in this game is, is to pressure Alex Smith. Uh, in the matchup department, I see Tennessee's uh, potentially do-it-all running back in Derrick Henry. I, I still see flashes. I saw flashes during that game uh, on Sunday against Jacksonville. Despite the, the low production, I still saw uh, some flashes, some, some, some speed bursts when he hits the hole and some power and being able to catch a little bit out of the backfield. Uh, I, I think with work, he can do whatever you want. Um, scrambling Marcus Mariota will help in that running game as well. Them going against a sometimes a uh, little bit confused Kansas City defensive front. They they seem to still be sorting things out there. There's been some turnover the last couple of years. Uh, so Tennessee can have some success on the ground. Uh, Tennessee's passing game, it's an issue when they need yards through the air. That's what the problem is with Mariota is uh, if he can stand back there in a close game, uh, and they don't need him to get big yards in the air, uh, he can perform. But when they need him to go through the air, when they're trailing and they need yards through the air, that's when he gets flustered and starts throwing the ball to the other team. Uh, but against that Kansas City coverage that Jason mentioned is missing Eric Berry all year, and sometimes they can be a little soft. Uh, on the other side, Casey's uh, ultra-dynamic Tyreek Hill uh, in the running game. He, he really is a, a dynamo back there. They also have a scrambling quarterback in Alex Smith that helps in their running game as well versus the Tennessee D, which is uh, patrolled by Wesley Woodyard and a, and a bunch of other veterans back there. They, Like I said, they don't get destroyed against anybody on the ground. In the air, Kansas City, uh, that pass game has been tamed by Matt Nagy, the offensive coordinator, ever since Andy, uh, Andy Reid turned over pass uh, calling duties, uh, play calling duties to Matt Nagy. You, you haven't seen the crazy geometry of, of Andy Reid's offenses nearly as much. Matt Nagy's calmed a lot of that down, and for the better, because they were struggling a lot, and you, you have to get back to basics at some point when you're struggling like that, and Andy Reid doesn't seem to be capable of getting back to basics. So it was definitely the right decision to have Matt Nagy take over uh, the play calling. So the pass game, maybe not as out there, maybe not as dynamic, but definitely a lot more steady uh, versus Tennessee's good coverage uh, that can leave the middle open sometimes because they're uh, busy trying to get up field. Uh, so in the end, I see Tennessee uh, not getting a lot of push early in the run game. That's been a problem all year. Of course, I'm down here in Tennessee. I see a lot of Titans games, and I've listened to them on the radio. And they don't start the game well on the ground early. It's, it's not even all about DeMarco Murray to me. It's about the, the O-line doesn't get going. They, they, for some reason, they, they're slow to get push, and they're, they're slow to get any traction on the ground. And Derrick Henry, you could see what was happening last week against the Jaguars with that slow start. He, was, he, he had one play where he ran backwards and lost 12 yards. When they don't get press, uh, a push up front in, in the run game, it can be a very long day. Now, the Titans happen to be at home against uh, a team that has troubles of their own moving the football, so they were able to come back and win that game. But uh, against Kansas City, I think the trend says that they will panic and take to the air with Mariota 
and that's not going to be a good thing. And I kind of talked a little bit about it in my uh, in my column about teams that have an advantage on the ground when they get to the playoffs. They tend to let that advantage elapse, and they don't go to the run. And I have theories about that. I think teams that, if you remember, Jason, you remember that that playoff game that uh, Herm Edwards was coaching the Chiefs, and he had the two thousand yard rusher Larry Johnson. Uh, and oh yeah. They went to Indianapolis, and the Colts were terrible at stopping the run. And what happens in that game? They they tried to run Larry Johnson like four or five times. And they throw their hands up and say, out of hell with it. We can't run. We're going to just go to the air. And they wind up getting destroyed. I, I think coaches and coordinators panic because they don't get those first few runs to be successful. They go, uh-oh, we're on the road. We got problems. We, we got to throw. We got to start going in the air because they're afraid to not go down with their, their biggest chunk plays uh, in the air. They're afraid to not try that. Uh, but they don't realize that, Hardly anybody gets going on the ground in a playoff game right off the bat, especially on the road, because the defense is so keyed up. They're so fired up. You can't get going instantly. So I think coaches, if they were just steadier and and less likely to panic and just stick to the game plan, if you come in with a running team, keep running the ball. Eventually it's going to crack. Eventually you're going to break through. But nobody seems to want to do that in the playoffs because they're so afraid of not throwing the ball and, and wind up uh, falling behind. Uh, and I think that's going to happen here. I'm going to go with Kansas City because I think Mike Malarkey's going to get scared and try to trust Marcus Mariota to throw the ball if Derrick Henry's first three or four runs don't go the way he wants to, especially considering how slow Henry started uh, this past Sunday. I, I can see him totally panicking and, and trying to call a lot more run uh, or a lot more pass plays. And Kansas City uh, will take advantage of that. And I got Kansas City winning the game and covering the spread. My score prediction for that is Chiefs 30, Titans 10. Oof. So you got that being a bit of a squash. So uh, we haven't gone into any X factors here. Who's yours? My X factor is the Titans have this rookie cornerback, Dory Jackson, and they've used him during the year, even when DeMarco Murray was healthy. Uh, he, he's been pretty decent as a cornerback. He's made some plays on the ball, but during the year they've actually had him take over also as a change of pace running back at times, and he's had some pretty good runs out of the backfield. He's he's fast. He's got burst to him, and I don't know why they wouldn't try to use him tomorrow as a change of pace for Derrick Henry as well. So uh, a lot of things can change if he winds up having a really good day on the ground and, and being the backup for, for Henry that nobody really expects. So I'm going with a Dory Jackson. Well, that's, that's going deep. Um, I went to your buddies at, at uh, pro football focus for this one. I very rare. I've oh. never been to their website before. I finally went to their website uh, to help me up with this one. I was looking for an X factor in that game. It wasn't, this is one of, again, this was one of the games I wasn't really feeling one where, you know, so much of his, uh, my only suspicion was on this game was I felt like it was going to be tight. I felt like this game was going to be close. We've got, you know, you've got the Chiefs with their history of playoff choking. Um, it, you know, overall, you know, I don't know what happens with that. You know, Andy Reid, sphincter gets tight. Kansas City just can't get it done. But I looked at Ron Parker, Eric Berry's replacement, the, the, you know, free safety for the Kansas City Chiefs. And you know that pro football focus, they grade players out and they give you their position ranking, right, in the league. 
what I saw, I was wondering, like, wow, what are they getting out of the guy who took over? And was this it was this sort of this you know like I said this 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 the defense was able to make up for his absence, but we really started to see them fall apart, and that defense just hasn't been quite what it used to be. And we are missing Eric Berry, Ron Parker, this year graded out by Pro Football Focus. I don't know what they do. I don't know how they grade this. When you hear this number, your mind will be blown. He was ranked the 83rd safety in pro football. 83rd. The man played every game but one, that first one, 83. So think about that. Every team runs out two safeties at 64. This guy is an even backup level. They have a color-coded system. He's the worst. Um, horrible. A lot of so safeties. If, that's a lot of safeties. But 83. You'd figure if you were at least starting level, you'd be top 64 since everybody runs out two. But, eight, yeah, that that's bad. Um, and by their color-coded system, he ranks out as poor, which is the worst ranking that you can get. So Ron Parker, if he's not patrolling that middle, this is where I was saying, you know, the Titans, they don't really get vertical on anybody. They just don't have the players to do that. Marcus Mariota doesn't have the arm to do it, but they do have their best offensive weapon outside of their running backs is the big tight end. And Delaney Walker is, is a game changer. He, he's one of the most underrated. I mean, I'm sure you appreciate him watching him down there more in Tennessee, but the average football fan, unless you play fantasy is not going to really be enamored with or know anything about Delaney Walker. He plays for a boring team. He plays for a team that doesn't get a lot of media attention, but you don't want to be the worst or one of the worst safeties in football. And you have to patrol the open space out over the deep middle with one of the best tight ends in the league uh, running around in your area. So that I think could be huge. And we'll see, we'll see how often the name Ron Parker gets called for good or for bad tomorrow. Yeah. If you, if you hear his name, there's a good chance it's not for, for good reasons. So yeah, we're heads up on the very first game. The playoffs are going to start off with a bang. I'm all right with that. Tomorrow night, the Falcons will visit the Rams. It is playoff football in Los Angeles. And that's going to be a, a different kind of atmosphere. There's going to be a, a different vibe out there. Uh, it's going to be something to watch. Uh, the defending NFC champion Atlanta Falcons find their way back in the playoffs. They are not division champions. They have to go on the road as a wild card team to start their defense of their conference crown. And if anyone's guess which Falcons team you're going to get, because they've been sort of a, a bit of a heckle and jive this season. Uh, the Rams rested up last week. They are going to take their 12-year-old coach, Sean McVay, and see what they can do their first trip to the playoffs in quite a while. And you know they're going to be ready to go emotionally, if not uh, physically and strategically, because who knows what you're going to get out of the Rams after such a long time out of the spotlight. Atlanta was ten and six this year. They were five and three on the road and five and three at home. The Rams were the eleven and five NFC West champs, but they were three and four 
at home. They were 4-4 and if you want to count the England game as a home game on another continent, which I don't do because I think that's stupid. But even if you give them that, give them 4-4. Four and four. It's still a 5-3 and three on the road veteran defending conference champion team against a 3-4 and four or 4-4 four and four at home division champ that's got a little water behind the ears. They're still uh, what they call it, mama's milk on their breath. Uh, still don't know what to make of the Rams uh, in in a big spot like this because they've never been in a big spot like this. Uh, and that's something that I that sort of made me perk up and I paid attention to. You in these in these playoff games, you very rarely get a team that's got a better road record going into uh, a, a team that has a a worse home record. That is extremely rare. But that's what you got here with the Falcons going to the Rams. But the Falcons have been so inconsistent this year that I, I, I don't blame the odds makers for this one. I, I understand it. Uh, Atlanta will get five and a half points on the road at Jared Goff and the L.A. Rams. I, I don't blame them. I don't believe it. I, I don't believe in the Rams as five and a half point favorites uh and and i don't it's not like i think the falcons are going to just explode and go right back to being the the dynamic all-world offense that we saw last year but they can that's the point they can potentially be that good again if they put it all together they can actually put together the the kind of passing offense that we really had never seen Last year, when we talk about those numbers, when we talk about elite offenses, that was like a different category what the Falcons were doing last season. Uh, were they doing it this season? No, they weren't. Were they terrible this season passing the ball? Absolutely not. They were still eighth in the league in passing. They still had 7.8 yards per attempt. That still makes them elite by my scale. And, again, teams with elite passing offenses, that's what you want to look at when you're betting – this money in the playoffs. They're playing against a team that has also an elite passing offense. The Rams also average 7.8 yards per care, for uh, per pass attempt. So there's a stalemate there. So what's going to be the difference? What's going to break the tie? I, I I talked a little bit about the Rams' experience. Uh, you don't hear too much about 28-3 to anymore, do you? I, I said that they were going to get over that. Once that rematch with the Patriots came in the regular season, the rematch came and went. They they had a bad game against New England, but after that it was over. They they picked themselves up, dusted themselves off. They haven't been a perfect team since. I believe me, I'm not trying to say that they they were or they have been, but they've been doing what they need to do to try to get better, to try to get back to what they were doing last year. And you don't hear people talk about outside of the Saints uh, trolling them with the dancers at halftime or whatever the male dancers spelling out 23 on the field i was like okay that's cute ha 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 but really no one talks about that anymore uh atlanta defense always fast and flowing to the ball they have to overcome the loss of of adrian claiborne I, i don't know if he's supposed to be playing tomorrow but the last time i saw him in that game last weekend uh at home against the the panthers uh, he was sitting on the sideline crying. Uh, they were reporting about some sort of foot injury or ankle injury. Um, and don't, I don't think he's going to be playing. I haven't seen any news stories or items about him, but 
Uh, I'd be surprised if he was out there on the field. But that's the the beauty of the Falcons' defense is they're so deep. They'll they'll work around that. They'll make some adjustments. They've got so many playmakers on that defense. They'll find a way uh, to overcome that loss, I believe. Uh, will they even be fast enough to rally and stop Tavon Austin? That's one of the big weapons for the Rams on uh, offense. He's sort of always an X factor. It's a little too obvious for me to call him that my official X factor, but uh, you always have to watch out for reverses and jet sweeps and things of that nature with Tavon Austin. He's really become a weapon that the Rams use when you, you don't, you almost don't expect it. It's really interesting how they seem to always pull out the jet sweep when you're looking at that offense and you're trying to figure out how to stop Todd Gurley and how to stop Jared Goff getting in rhythm with his guys. And all of a sudden here comes Austin speeding around the corner and you go, Oh geez, here comes this little bugger. Uh, but the Falcons have the, the fast defense to try to get to them. And if that's going to be speed on speed, that might be some really fun football we, we watch tomorrow to see who's going to be faster uh, around the corners and who's going to make the plays that need to be made. The matchups for this game, Atlanta's powerful uh, running game, Devontae Freeman, Tevin Coleman. Uh, it's not just the speed with those guys. It's the power. I love the way they hit the holes with power and anger. Uh, they they really get a, a speed up, and they also get uh, their muscle going. And it's really hard to stop them when they get in rhythm, uh, hitting holes versus the uh, L.A. run defense, which I've observed them. Uh, they can get caught up. They can get caught up field. They they get caught trying to rush the passer. They're so eager to get to the quarterback that you can catch them easily on draw plays. And when they look it back, and, and there goes the running backs running right past them. They don't even see them coming. Uh, and then, of course, in the air, Atlanta's potentially uh, ultra-dynamic passing game. We've seen what they can do last year uh, versus uh, L.A. Their pass defense, uh, they can penetrate, they can pop, they can hit you, uh, they can also cover you. But, again, you, you can catch them upfield, you can catch them with screen passes, uh, you can definitely catch them being uh, over-aggressive. On the other side of the ball, it's the Rams – uh, hard-running Todd Gurley, who's a deadly all-around weapon. He has just been a, a massive uh, weapon for the Rams this year versus Atlanta's steady but not heavy run defense. So uh, they're going to be there trying to, to get to Gurley again using their speed, but they're not going to necessarily be able to muscle up and try to go power-on-power uh, power with him if the Rams can get uh, their running attack going uh, using their blockers, and they really have a chance to do some damage there. In the air, the fast pace pass attack uh, with Jared Goff, he, the, the key with them is that he really is getting in a rhythm with no huddles and, and very quick counts, very quick snaps. Uh, the way he's hitting his guys uh, is, is very fast. Uh, again, the Falcons are fast to the ball and always fast, but it's going to be, again, speed on speed, fast versus fast. If Goff can get into a rhythm very fast, uh, and catch the Falcons maybe not being able to substitute their guys off the field, they can get into a lot of trouble quickly. Um, and, and protection, it's big-time protection for the for the Rams to protect Jared Goff. That's been a very big key for them. Uh, but in the end, I think Atlanta's offense has the pace to keep up with the Rams. I think they have the power and the pace when everything is clicking right. I think they can be overwhelming offensively, and I just don't imagine, as great as the Rams have been, offensively this year I don't I, I can't see them being overwhelming like what the what the Falcons can do when they're hot they can just absolutely overpower you and don't forget this guy named Julio Jones he's kind of good 
And if he ever gets going uh, the way that he could get going, forget about it. Because as we've said on this show many times, no one man can stop Julio Jones anytime they want to make him an uh, in, in every down weapon and every down target. They can do that, and nobody can, can do anything about that. The L.A. Blitz will let the Atlanta running backs out in coverage uh, with screen passes. I, I really think the, uh, the Falcons are going to be all over the Rams, uh, taking advantage, doing the things that the Rams won't be expecting because the Rams don't have that experience to see it coming and to be able to stop everything. I have Atlanta coming through, playing their best game, and not just covering the spread, but winning this game in L.A. I've got Atlanta 27-14. to 14. That would be interesting. I, I This is the pick that I probably struggled with the most this week. Of course, I've, you know, I've got this – this is my team. I, I can, maybe I can be a little bit more critical of them. Uh, this year it's been very easy. I mean, we talked about the fact that five out of their uh, ten wins or going into last week, five out of their nine wins were – either goal line stands or missed field goals or, you know, guys down at the two inch line and ended, but, but they still found a way They beat the team that was in front of them. You can't take those wins away. Here they are. They're in the playoffs. They're the sixth seed. Um, you, you look at the potential matchup. I don't like to look ahead, but you'd say, okay, if they can get through the Rams, they then get a date at Philly with the Nick Foles led Eagles who look very human, um, without Carson Wentz, and they've had other key injuries. You, you you could see a path. I could see it. The Falcons could be back in the NFC title game, even as bad or as underwhelming as this season's been. I mean, and that's got to be a testament to, to the coaching, to Dan Quinn. This team could have easily gone in the tank. We talked about this last year when they blew the Super Bowl. There were really only two ways that this could go, that you know they, they would chin up. And they'd get back, and they would they would get through the season, and and maybe it was a bit of a malaise for them to get through the season. And now we get them into the playoffs, and they wake up. You know, the the, the whole point of this season for them, anything not ending in a playoff run, was going to be a failure. It was going to just be up oh, twenty eight to three. They were a Super Bowl loser. They didn't get so already from losing the Super Bowl and getting back to the playoffs. They've done something that you don't see a lot of teams do, so I have to give them a ton of credit for that. I mean, we we can't take it away from them that they're in. You know, we we joke about the Bills, but you know what? They're in the playoffs. These teams, deserving or not deserving, the one thing I will say that the Falcons did do to earn this spot in the playoffs, and we talked about this uh, for a long stretch of the season. I was always quick to point out they beat every single team that could have competed with them for that last playoff spot. Absolutely every single one. Even had the Seahawks won that game against the Cardinals, the Falcons still had that tiebreaker because they went up to Seattle um, and won and, and put up a lot of points on that on that team up there. And that's not easy to do, although it wasn't as hard to do this year as it has been in years past, if you notice that. The Legion of Room, all that started to take over. On the other side... I have I have a lot of things that I like about the Rams. The number one thing I'm going to say I like about the Rams is the way that they did not crack under that sort of murderer's row schedule that started with them back in week 11, where they went through a stretch where they played the Vikings, the Saints, uh, they had the Cardinals in the middle of that, and then they played the Eagles 
and the Seahawks and the Titans. A lot of playoff teams in there, a lot of playoff contending teams in there, and they did not they didn't wilt. They didn't fall apart. That young coach kept them in it. They scored a ton of points um, against some very good defenses. I mean, even in that game that they lost, which ended up being sort of like the swan song for Carson Wentz when he broke his uh, when he broke his leg um, in defeat. There, the Rams still scored 35 points against the Eagles, which is, you know, by all measures, a top-notch NFL defense. They then followed that up by going to Seattle and housing the Seahawks as bad as I can ever remember seeing the Seahawks lose one in their own building. So there's just as much for me to like with the Rams. Yeah, they're young, but sometimes you get this team where they're they're young and the coach is young, and they just don't know any better. Now, that can be for good or for bad. That can help you and that can hurt you because if it does get to be a close game or it gets to be crunch time in Atlanta, who's they're seasoned, they're weathered, they've been through this, uh, tight playoff games, blowout playoff games, you know, Atlanta's kind of, they, they did it. They did it last year. Um, last year was, you know, everybody had always knocked on Matt Ryan, couldn't win in the playoffs. They had that playoff run last year, played an amazing Super Bowl. Uh, one of the, you know, statistically, he was almost flawless in that Super Bowl. Uh, what you saw was that Atlanta defense got gassed, and they just couldn't, they, they just couldn't, they couldn't seal the deal. But Matt Ryan was there. Although, once again, Matt Ryan has, and this always shows that uncanny ability to take a sack at the worst possible moment. All week, yeah, this was I was on the. Oh, it's his move. It just can't, you know, it's third down at the end of a game and you need something big. Matt Ryan's going to get sacked. Um, all week I was on the Falcons. I saw that pathway to them to get back to the NFC title game. And then there is this little nagging thing in the back of my mind that's going to cause me to take the Rams here. And so we get to disagree on both games up front, which I love this. Both games tomorrow, we just, we'll split them. I mean, that's basically, you know, what that'll happen. Um <laughs> But I'm, I'm, I've got memories, for whatever reason, and thoughts, and you can look at it statistically. I just have a problem with this offense outdoors on grass. They're just they're a step slower. Everything kind of bogs down. It doesn't look as crisp. We saw it when they played the Bears. We saw it when they played the Jets. We see we see this team when it goes outside. It doesn't quite have that same verve, you know. It doesn't have the same rhythm. The ground game will still be there, but I think they're going to need points in in the passing game. They're going to need big plays, big throws. Matt Ryan's going to have to come up clutch because I do believe, even though the Falcons' defense is ranked top 10, it's not a top 10 defense. Statistically, it's a top 10 defense. But I, on, the eye test doesn't tell me that that defense is going to be able to hold up to what the Rams' offense can potentially throw at them. They are loaded. They're loaded at wide receiver. They have Todd Gurley, who can do everything out of the backfield. He can run. He can catch. They are absolutely loaded. I don't think that, that Sean McVay is going to be scared. I think that they are going to come out and they're going to play their game, and I think they are just going to – wear out and be a step faster than the Atlanta Falcons. Um, and it all comes back to me thinking back to that. Tw- I'm, I'm remember, I'm remembering 24 to two up in New York, 
<laughs> you know, oh. I, I, you know, I'm right. The, they've got that thing with Matt Ryan and that offense. And, you know, and, and, other than Michael Vick, who could go into Lambeau and, and win that playoff game with, with that dynamic run game offense that they had, I don't know if Matt Ryan's going to have that. Everything's going to just slow down a hair. And I think that's going to be enough to keep that offense a little bit more vanilla and a little bit more boring. And the Rams, they have no problem. They've been scoring points from the get-go all the way back to week one when they put up 46. I mean, this is a team that was putting up 40s and 50s and 30s. No problem all year long. Atlanta, yeah, they maybe get to 30, 34. But most of the time, their games were kind of low 20s. So overall... I'm going to go with that and say I've got Rams 30, Falcons 20. Yeah, this is going to be fun tomorrow. Both of these games for way different reasons, way different styles. But, yeah, we're going to head to head on both of them, yeah. no doubt. So. Yeah, and like I said, I was on the Falcons all week. I was on the whole thing with the experience, and they're ready, and they're jacked. And and it and this is their story of redemption and I and I'd love for them to go out there tomorrow and prove me wrong. But I just I haven't seen anything from them that says that's what they're going to do. They beat the Panthers well, they didn't beat the Panthers as much as Cam Newton beat the Panthers last week, because that was abhorrent football. I think you would agree with that. It was just it was just hideous to watch. Cam Newton trying to play the quarterback position and throwing in that game. He was missing everybody. He was behind dudes. He was just he was just off. I don't know if it was just uh, he didn't care. Like we said when we when I picked the game, like they know they're in, so it's just going to be like eh, you know. Sad thing is that the Saints at the same time are shitting the game away against Tampa. And had Cam Newton been motivated and played as good as he's possible of playing, they could have won that game and won the division. But they couldn't. They they couldn't do it. And uh, the funny thing is, the Falcons still would have made the playoffs. <laughs> yeah. So go figure. Go figure. But uh, yeah. So I'm I'm going thirty twenty here, and in, in, in a bit of a swerve. Um, I'm not taking a uh, a big name player here for my X factor, but I'm taking someone who I think could should this game start to slip back to being close, make a huge impact on the game. I'm going with the Rams kicker, Sam Ficken, who had to replace Greg Zerline, one of the best, most accurate long-distance kickers, is a weapon in the kicking game. Now it's all going to fall on Sam Ficken. can't believe you kicked a Ficken kicker to be your X-Factor. What the hell, man? Yeah. Uh, that was an easy one. Um, hey, hey! My, uh, my X Factor is going to be the the hard hitter, the seek and destroy defensive back for the Falcons, Keanu Neal. There are so many impact players around that defense, but I think what puts them over the top and makes them uh, a top ten defense is that safety that's willing to get in there and support the run and blitz and be there at the line of scrimmage and kind of dare you to, to account for him and, and do what you got to do to try to beat him. And he's so quick that, that he can get up there, even on grass. He can get to your quarterback. He can get to the running back. He can affect plays. He can blow things up and, and, and ruin all your plans. 
So my X Factor is Keanu Neal. I love to watch him play. All right, so here we are, two for two for two, and, and crazy, already crazy. Uh, Sunday playoff games will be uh, the Bills and the Jaguars. I talked about this one. I'm, I'm, I don't know about you. I when I saw what the games were going to be, and I, I took my guess for what's going to be the Saturday game. I just knew it was going to be Bills Jaguars. I really thought that was going to be the first playoff game we see that that had that feel of Houston Texans and uh backup quarterbacks and and just crap football it, that Bill Jaguars felt like that a little bit more than Titans Chiefs but uh but nope Bill's Jaguars gets to be your your noon game on Sunday yeah but you know anyway. it, all those games used to be like Titans Chiefs or Colts, Chiefs, you know, you think back to those those types of games, it was usually something involving the Chiefs. So I think they kind of just like, you yeah. know, sort of ran home to mama on this one here. I guess you you might be right about that. In any event, it's the Bills and Jaguars, Buffalo sneaking into the playoffs at 9-7. and seven. Uh, They were 3-5 and five on the road. Jacksonville, the AFC South champs at 10-6. and six. They were 5-2 and two at home. Uh, unless you count the England game uh, in which Jacksonville won, so that would make them six and two, but that really wasn't a home game. A um, couple of injuries in this one that were they they stood out to me not because of, of how incredibly important they were, but just how how similar they were to the symmetry. With Sean McCoy, he's important, but I'm, I'm, but he's going to be there. He's going to play, and, and Marquise Lee, the the Jaguars uh, wide receiver. They both had ankle injuries. They both didn't practice all week. They tried to practice today. Uh, they both were kind of iffy, kind of game-time decision, questionable. They're both going to play. I don't know how effective either one's going to be, but they're both going to be out there. Uh, it's a little game that I think both teams are playing with both of those guys uh, in any event. Uh, Buffalo, the team that was trying to tank and found a way to make the playoffs, uh, is a nine-point underdog at the 10 and 6 Jacksonville Jaguars Jason, what's your pick? Yeah, that's the biggest line of the weekend here. And when we look at this statistically, that's for good reason. I mean, we've got the Jaguars who are surprisingly good offensively. They are the number 2 defense in the league and you have the Bills who rank other than in the run game, they are bottom of the league like 28, 29, 27. They are just horrible at football, but they can run the ball. And LaShawn McCoy, the, 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 the bell cow, everything runs through him. You got to have this guy. If you're going to stand a chance against the Jacksonville Jaguars, he's banged up. How effective is he going to be? We don't know. What's Tyrod Taylor going to look like in his first playoff game? We have no idea on the road. Now, we can say a lot about the same thing with the Jaguars. We've Blake, we got Blake Bortles and Leonard Fournette. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of intangibles and a lot of guys who've never done this before. So since both teams have no experience, I'm throwing that out. I'm just looking at the teams. Everything. I wasn't joking when I said everything points towards the Jaguars. Normally, you would expect me to go, aha! I'm going to take the other team just because everything says that I should take the Jaguars. I'm not going to fall into that. 
the problem I have with the Bills is where are they going to get points? Who is going to produce offense for that team? The only way the Bills are going to be able to generate offense is if they can reliably and sustainably turn over the Jaguars. Because the Jaguars, I do believe, will be able to, even though it's not going to look pretty, they'll be able to move the football. They'll also be able to get a ton of pressure in the secondary, at the middle level, and on the D-line all over that Bills offense. And I'm thinking back to that game when the Jaguars played Seattle. They showed, even though they gave up those big scrambling-type plays every once in a while to Russell Wilson, that defense showed sort of a level of maturity that I was very impressed with in the way that they just sort of slowly contained Russell Wilson and made him have to beat them with his arm. And then they would go for the kill shot when it was just the most obvious, like long down and distance passing situation, they'd go in and they would get the sack almost every time they wanted to. It's almost like they toyed with that offense of the Seahawks and, and that defense dictated the, the tempo of that whole game. They're going to do the same thing, I think. And then some, because Buffalo lacks the playmakers that the Seahawks possess. They don't have Tyrod Taylor is not Russell Wilson. He's like the poor, 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 poor man's version, like the hobo version of Russell Wilson, standing around the garbage can trying to keep his hands warm. That's the version of Russell Wilson that Tyrod Taylor is. And then you've got, they, they, they don't have a Doug Baldwin. They don't have Paul Richardson. They don't have Jimmy Graham. They don't have any of that. What they should have is the running back, and he's beat up. So how many hits is he going to be able to absorb? I'm thinking, I mean, if we had a lock of the week for playoff picks, <laughs> I'm, this would be mine. Um, I'm going to actually, you know, and, and I just, the Jaguars get a lot of their points because of how good their defense is. And I don't think this is going to be a different one. We're going to see a lot of three and outs. We're going to potentially see some turnovers. If the Bills have to start playing from behind, we're going to start to see the sacks pile up. I think everything is a perfect storm against the Buffalo Bills here. I'm taking the Jaguars 31-16. Yeah, I can't even break this down because to do a proper sort of the scouting report breakdown that I like to do, what I do is I go through all of the notes that I've taken all season and I call them all into one piece of paper. And that's what I refer to when I'm doing the show. Well, the Buffalo bills were trying to tank all year. I had no reason to watch a Buffalo bills game. I watched zero <laughs> Buffalo bills. I have no scouting full quit. on the Buffalo bills. Cause I didn't think they were going to be anywhere near the fucking playoffs. So here's the Buffalo Bills already, but I have no I have no breakdown. I have no matchups. I have no no scouting of the Bills. I, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go to uh, my my blog post where I talked a little bit about the Bills, just based on the the, the numeric uh, the elite and the subpar numbers that I was talking about. Uh, the Jags, first of all, I guess I'll talk about them just to mention that they fall into the category of elite pass defense, uh, which they were more than elite. They were number one in the league in pass defense, they only gave up six yards per throw. And as I was telling you, you want to put your money on teams with good elite 
pass defenses. Those seem to be the teams that have the most success in the playoffs. What the Bills bring to the table was not anything elite. They brought the very rare playoff appearance of subpar passing offense. They only averaged 6.5 yards per throw. They were next to last in passing in the NFL. And in any other year in the NFL, that's bad. But in today's NFL, that's really bad because passing is really the way to go. That's how you get yardage. That's how you succeed. They were next to last in that category. Uh, and as I wrote in my blog post about the uh, about the bill specifically, uh, uh, I'm probably not going to find it now. That's fine. It doesn't doesn't matter. Um, how the hell they're is it? Bad. They're, Price, I can't find it. The hell with it. Um, I think that's basically what I was talking about, was the fact that there were uh, th- there was not an elite passing offense. There was a subpar passing offense. And uh, there were a couple of other teams. That's what I wanted to bring up, that there were, there are in this the, – the, the, the years that I'm using since uh, uh, 2009, there are a couple of other teams that actually had uh, a playoff – uh, appearance uh, and playoff victories with subpar passing offenses, but there were special circumstances. One of them was that uh, that '09 uh, 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 Seattle Seahawks team that beat the uh, uh, the New England uh, New Orleans Saints because that was the beast mode game. That was where Marshawn yeah. Lynch made his name uh, becoming beast mode. And that was uh, a subpar passing team in Seattle that was uh, a 7-9 and nine playoff team because they won their division. So that was a home game that they were able to do that in. And then another subpar uh, offense uh, passing game, that, that was also a home team as well. Um, so that's the difference. Is the, the Bills are not a home team. They, they found a way to make the playoffs, but that's not a home team. And uh, they won't be playing a backup quarterback. Oh, here it is. Uh, last year was uh, the, the Texans. They won the division with a subpar offense uh, being led by Brock Osweiler, as you remember. Uh, and they were not only were they at home, they got lucky enough to catch the Raiders with, without Derek Carr as their quarterback. They got Connor Cook, and they were able to win that game because they got lucky uh, as far as the uh, opponent had a big a big injury. Well, the Bills don't get to play against a backup quarterback, and they won't be at home. And uh, so from here, I would just like to appeal to the football gods. If anyone's listening, if the football gods are listening, this team tried to tank. They took their top three targets from last season, got rid of all of them, either cut them or traded them, their top three targets. Then if that wasn't bad enough, they looked at their defense and saw that they were kind of stopping the run a little bit and said, we got to get rid of the best run stuffer that we got. We got to get rid of Marcel Darius. This is criminal. This is what the Bills were doing in run defense just nine games ago. They were third in the league in run defense. They were giving up 3.5 yards per carry. What are the What did they finish at? What, can you, anyone want to guess? how the Bills finished in run defense. They finished the season 29th in the league in run defense. They finished giving up 4.3 yards per carry. Do you know how hard you got to work to drop 
your yards per carry average from 3.5 to 4.3? Do you know how hard you got to work to drop from third in run defense to 29th in the span of nine weeks? And if that wasn't bad enough, as we already talked about, they tried to start Nathan Peterman at quarterback over Tyrod Taylor on purpose, not because Tyrod Taylor was was not able to take the field, but because they said, we think Nathan Peterman gives us the best chance to win. Sean McDermott said that. We want This team started Nathan Peterman at quarterback, traded Marcel Darius, and got rid of their top three targets in last year, and as a playoff team, if there's any football gods out there, any at all, the Bills cannot be competitive on Sunday. That would be such a shame. That would be such an affront to football. I got the Jags winning 22 to 9, and I hope it's not even that close. So I'm with you on that one. Well, all right, yeah. Sometimes it does look that easy. Um, but I, I, And I hope we're right on this one because, like I told you, I didn't want to roll it out too early in the show, give away a pick. But I went through, I told you, and I ranked the AFC teams, one through five, is who I thought had the best chance of going to Foxborough and knocking off the Patriots. And I had the Jaguars at number one. Well, because that team can go. That defense is playing. That defense could go up there and do, you know, what, what, what the Broncos did to them. I mean, they, they, that's a, that's a pass rush and a secondary that could make Tom Brady look really old and bend him over and, and have their way with him if they really wanted to. The offense I worry about, that's not that Pittsburgh offense. This is Blake Bortles. I mean, this could be a repeat of Houston again where they did the same thing and and bent over Tom Brady and had their way with him. But Brock Osweiler was terrible, and the Patriots were able to sort of survive. But if there's a team that can go up there and give them all they can handle, I think it's Jacksonville because we know what the Steelers are going to do. We know what the Bills are going to do. We know what the Chiefs are going to do. You need a team that's going to go in there that's fresh and young and hungry and just and and fast and fury and that I think would be Jacksonville. So I am really really hoping that the Jags can win here, go with in Pittsburgh, and go. I want to see New England play Jacksonville. I could be asking. I mean, it could be it could end up forty-seven to ten and the Patriots win, <laughs> but I, I want to see it. Because if, if I want to see what that defense can do, pinning its ears back and getting after a quarterback, who the only way you can beat him is to put him under pressure. Yeah, I'm with you. I want to see it too. Who's your X factor for this game? Uh, boy, I tell you what. I'm looking at the team, I'm looking at the Bills, who did start the season with a really good pass defense. They they were one of the best pass defenses in the league. I probably have to refer to your stats. They probably didn't finish that way. But remember, no. they didn't give up a passing touchdown for like six weeks, and they still probably finished 28th or 29th or whatever in pass defense. That they were terrible. So the thing that you think about with Blake Bortles is you just don't really think about that offense taking the top off anybody. The 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 Allens always have been you know the, the, the things haven't been good. Allen Robinson, Allen Hearns hurt, missing, whatever. I'm going to rookie wide out D.D. Westbrook got all the speed in the world and really started to catch fire in the middle of the season before he kind of tailed off at the end. And, you know, I like those 
you know, unheralded kind of speedy, like, like the Paul Richardson type, like I talked about, I've always been waiting for this guy. If the Jaguars have a guy who I think can go over the top and really kind of give that, you know, kill shot to that Bills defense in this game, I'm looking at uh, D.D. Westbrook to have a big day. Same team, same position. I'm also uh, thinking of how dynamic the Jaguars could be if they got some help in the passing game. Uh, this kid, Keelan Cole, has been making some waves and making some plays for the Jaguars uh, on the offensive side of the ball the last couple of weeks. So I want to see if he can continue that. Okay, so we're both looking at young, speedy Jags wideouts. We're on the same page there even as well. And to finish off the wild card weekend on Sunday afternoon, it is the Panthers and the Saints in part three of their trilogy. The NFC South rivals with the same record will go head-to-head, but the Panthers will be on the road and the Saints will be at home because the Panthers couldn't do what they had to do uh, in Atlanta. Uh, so they allowed the Saints to sort of slough off and take the day off and lose to Tampa Bay. Uh, and still wind up winning the NFC South and getting home field advantage for this third matchup. Uh, they're both 11 and five. Carolina five and three on the road. The Saints seven and one at home. First two matchups in Week Three: New Orleans went to Charlotte and embarrassed the Panthers 34 to 13. Cam Newton had, uh, I believe, three interceptions in that game. Week 13, they came back to New Orleans, and the Saints handed them another beatdown, this time 31-21. to So, of course, as a result of that, Carolina, despite the 11-win season, are six-and-a-half-point dogs on the road at the Saints. And I've been sort of talking up how impressive the Saints have been. That offense is all-around great. They get the, the two-headed monster at running back. And Drew Brees is still making throws whenever he needs to, but it's not where he has to do it now. He's not the entire offense, not by a long shot. They're much more balanced. They're about as balanced as a Sean Payton team has been in the playoffs. And, in fact, I will once again refer to my elite stats. The Saints have had uh, an elite offense like this before. They do indeed have – uh, elite stats this year at running and passing. They're averaging 4.7 yards per carry of the team and 8.1 yards in the air. They did that back in 09. And what happened in 09? Oh, they won the title. They went 3-0 and straight up in the playoffs, 2-1 uh, and versus the spread, but they did go all the way and bring it home. So I'm kind of looking at the Saints as maybe uh, – a team that people are overlooking when they talk about teams that have a chance to win it all. I think the Saints could possibly be right there. Sure helps that they're facing the Panthers in the first round. The always mercurial Cam Newton, the always uh, unpredictable Carolina Panthers. Uh, this one, to me, was kind of easy. I, this, this is the one that I knew all week who I was going to have. It's Carolina's college-like triple option running game with Cam Newton, and we know they inverted their team early in the season with that uh, uh, Kelvin Benjamin trade to Buffalo. They went from a passing offense to a running offense. They are relying on Cam Newton at times to be the the leading running back, and that's never a good thing when you're relying on your quarterback. 
against New England, uh, New Orleans, rather flexible run defense. Uh, Carolina's sort of desperate, disheveled passing game now uh, against New Orleans, rally to the ball, playmaking coverage. And we saw that desperate uh, passing game uh, when Carolina was playing Atlanta. We talked about how ugly Cam Newton looked in that game. It seemed like every time he tried to connect with Greg Olson, it wasn't there. Olson's timing was off. Cam's timing was off. And that just sort of unraveled Cam Newton. He just went on a downward spiral where every throw was just got worse and worse and worse. And it, it was it was one of the worst quarterbacking performances uh, that we saw all year. There's no doubt about it. Uh, on the other side, it's New England's tag team, that tandem of Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara, just as dynamic as you can get at running back because both of them can hit the hole, both of them have speed, and both can handle the ball out of the backfield. Uh, but it's a very compelling matchup on the run because Carolina has these two sideline-to-sideline guys. They they sort of police everything out there. If you don't get tackled by Thomas Davis on one side, then Luke Keekley will get you on the other side. It's, it's amazing how both of those guys are always right there. One of them is always going to stop the run, and uh, there's going to be a, a, a tough time running for the Saints if they try to rely on that. But, again, Drew Brees is right there for you, so they don't really have to rely on it all the time. Uh, that calm, controlled destruction by Breeze. It's not a frenzied thing. It's its very cool and collected, but it's surgical, and he will pinpoint and beat you when he has to, taking on that flustered group of Carolina defensive backs. They, they just don't seem to always be on the same page. Uh, I've had New Orleans the entire week, so I won't even spend any more time on it. It's, a, it's an elite passing offense. You know how I feel about those. Those are the ones you want to go with, the elite passing offenses and passing defenses. And New Orleans brings the elite passing offense, and I think they're going to use that and the running game and put it all together for a third time. Uh, I also tweeted out uh, the fact uh, earlier this week, the fact that uh, there's another canard out there about it's so hard to beat a team three times in the same season. That's not true. Two-thirds of the time – that a team that has been 2-0 and against uh, another team gets to play that team a third time in the playoffs, two-thirds of the time that team that was 2-0 and goes ahead and beats them again. So it's actually not that hard. I don't know where people got that from, but I'm going to go with the Saints and go with that trend as well. Uh, I got New Orleans uh, embarrassing Carolina on their home turf. I got the Saints 34-14. to Wow, okay, so we've got a lot of lopsided calls here from you this weekend. Not a very good weekend of playoff football by your estimation. We're getting some blowouts. Well, we get to we get to disagree yeah, on this one. We get to disagree on this one. So we're disagreeing on three out of four here in wildcard weekend. So we're setting up some drama only by virtue of the fact that I picked the score of every one of these games, and I have the Saints winning 27-21. Ah, so if it's six and a, if it's six and a half, I gotta say that's six. So I like the Saints to win, but I think it's going to be a tighter game. I think Cam Newton plays better. I think that he was unfocused and un, and disinterested in that game against Atlanta. Uh, you, we know that Cam can be a bit moody. We, his emotions kind of ride high and low. I don't think that they were playing for. I don't think that they thought that they were playing for anything. I think that they had an assumption and you shouldn't have that if you're a well-coached team, but I thought that all oh, the saints are playing Tampa and we're, you know, so you didn't see, I didn't see a lot of effort. 
I just saw just there. Eh, they were just there. And they were unfortunately playing a team playing for everything. So even though the Falcons would have still made it to the playoffs either way, because Blair Walsh was Blair Walsh, they didn't know that. So I think you saw the Falcons come out and really play what was one of their best games of the year because they had to get in. And they, I mean, they held them to only 10 points. Cam Newton just looked like he just didn't give a shit. I think he's going to give a shit in this game. I think that the Panthers can be had uh, tons of breakdowns all week about these two teams looking at their two games. The, all the problems with Cam Newton, his style of passing does not play well against those New Orleans young ball hawking corners and, and safeties where, you know, if Cam Newton had a little bit more discipline, looked some guys off, that they ran some double moves, you really could have the Saints. These these Saints defenders are all jumping on the first move. And problem is Cam Newton plays right into that because he's pretty much just, I'm just going to lock in on a guy and I'm just going to throw it. And a lot of times this year he was throwing that ball to Saints defenders. So let's see if they've coached him up at all, if he've learned, he's learned anything from that. Um, but I think Cam's going to have to – he's going to have to run the ball. You play all year long and you can yell at Cam Newton all you want about all the hits he takes. It's the playoffs. You're going to be yourself. Go be yourself. Go be a weapon. You are bigger and faster and stronger than most of the guys that are going to be coming Why after not? you. Yeah. Extend these drives. Go get some first downs. Keep the game close. You've got Christian McCaffrey's one of the better um, receiving running backs, along with Kamara. I mean, it's both of them had at least 80 receptions. Uh, saw the stat. That was the first time you've had two rookie running backs with at least 80 receptions in the history of the league. That goes back a long time. So we're going to see a lot of running backs catching balls in this game. Um, the Saints, with this love of the ground game, I think in the playoffs, shortens the game, keeps the score tighter. I don't think we end up in blowout territory here. So I think we're going to end up with a tight game. Um, so I like that. Uh, my, my X factor is going to be, yes, the Saints fullback, Zach Line. They run a lot of I formation. That springs uh, Mark Ingram a lot. They run Ingram out of the I formation a lot. I think that's going to cause Mark Ingram to get some big poppers in the run game. And uh, you don't get a lot of credit to that guy who goes in there and blows up the hole. So I'm going to give him some. Fullback love. Wow. We're covering all our bases today. Uh, my X factor is I talked bad about the Carolina DBs, but there has been some improvement uh, with Daryl Worley this year. I've seen him make some plays on the ball. So if he wants to stand up to uh, Michael Thomas and, and the New Orleans Saints uh, receivers, and if he wants to make some plays, he wants to help keep his team in the game, he's more than welcome to do it. And if he can do that, then it might be a different story. Uh, if they can sort of make New Orleans somewhat close to one-dimensional, then maybe the Panthers can stay in it. I'm not counting on it to happen, but we'll find out. All right. Hey, we got everything in. We did. We uh, probably won't have much of an after show, but if there is one, you'll hear it on the other side when we come back. Thank you for joining us.
into our VIP after show program, and happy birthday to you. You are no longer my junior. Thank you. Well, I'm still by two weeks, but now we're the same age. So thank you very much. We got to do the same thing on a pick show uh, two weeks ago for you. So here it is, January the 6th, and uh, hey, it's my birthday. I get to get up in six hours and go work for 10. Can't wait. <laughs> well, I got him off for three days, though. I get a three-day weekend. Can't wait. I get I'm home all day on Sunday, home with my kids, watching some playoff football, enjoying that. We'll have a few people over on Sunday evening. We'll have a little birthday get-together for me and, you know, eat some cake. And my wife and I, I, my wife's already started. I told my wife after my birthday I would join her on her diet. So we're we're, we're, we're going to start eating better again. We've done this before. You know, you always you do it for a while, then you start to fall back into your bad habits. And I've started to fall back into those bad habits. So. Um, since I've done it before, hopefully it won't be too hard to get back on the horse here and 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 change some of the habits. Although some of the habits that I gained from the last time we did this about three years ago, um, I, I've kept. Yeah, I, I don't drink soda anymore. I drink a ton more water. I don't do so well with the carbs. I'm a you know I'm a bagel and cream cheese guy, uh, really bad. So it's going to be hard cutting that back out again. But um, uh, I got to work on it. So not getting any younger here. Want to be around. <laughs> Want to be around for my kids. So trying to get a little healthier hey, here. You know. You don't have to explain it to me. I'm, I'm definitely fighting the carb fight with you, as you know. Now being it's not easy, and you especially where you live. My God. Hey, where you live isn't all that great for carbs either, man. It's we're both in the Midwest. We're we're not. Neither one of us are living in a place with a whole lot of like fish and veggies and fruits and. Well, fish around here. I mean, there's a lot, a lot of fish around here. I mean, Wisconsin's kind of full of lakes, kind of near water. Um, So yeah, there's a lot of fish. fish, They can quite a bit. Although I do like steamed fish and broiled fish. I like fish always, but the breaded fish is, is very good too. <laughs> so um, yeah, that's, not a so be island where it's just a lot of raw fish being steamed up for you. Yeah. So my wife, you know, my wife asked me, you know, what do you want? You know, what kind of birthday dinner do you want? I said, you know, I'm, well, we're not doing it tomorrow on my birthday because I'll be working. I won't even be home until geez, 7 p.m. Kids will be in bed within an hour. Um, so I said, yeah, you know what? Football's on. We got some people coming over. Let's just order some. Let's just order some pizza and have a good time. I get to watch the playoffs and you know, some good games going on this weekend. You know, we got the that game will be going on that Panthers Saints game. The best that is the best game of the weekend. I mean, as far as matchups and, and statistics and quality of the teams go, um, that'll be on right in the middle of all that. So I'll find a way to make sure that that's on one of the TVs in my house. So I'm excited. Well, thanks for the birthday wishes. It's great to feel old like you now. You got to experience, you got to experience 42 for a couple of weeks. Uh, anything I should know, anything I should be looking forward to here? Or is it kind of just like 41? Um, I tell you, I, I, had to sleep a lot more the last couple of weeks. I don't know if that was because of 42 or not, but I definitely uh, need more sleep. Yeah, sleep's always good. About. 
Sleep's always good. I did not. You know, we, we, I didn't. I didn't make New Year's Eve because I was sleep. I was sleep by ten o'clock. I got to ten thirty, eleven o'clock on New Year's Eve. I, I've and my wife and I have never really been big on on New Year's Eve. We're usually in bed pretty early. A lot of that has to do with the fact that I have to work on New Year's Day. Right. You know, and I work a fairly long day on New Year's Day, so I'm not I'm not really big into into New Year's. You know. It was bigger for my daughter because we let my daughter stay up till she got to stay up till 1030 with us. I think that was a bigger deal for her than anything else. Oh, she, she was so excited because my son fell asleep at his usual time. He fell asleep at, you know, eight, eight thirty, And we let my daughter stay up and, until she was ready for bed. So we watched movies and, and, and she got to stay up. And, and that kid had so much energy when it got to be you know, after 10, because I think she finally realized that we had let her stay up and her brother wasn't, and it was just us and us and her. And she was just like, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, just big smile, so much energy. And uh, it, it was cool. I remember being little and what a big deal it was getting to stay up late on New Year's. And so, so she had a lot of fun with that. Consequently, uh, a couple of, uh, well, that was on Sunday night. So Tuesday night was after I had to work all day on Monday. Tuesday night uh, was my day off, and we put my kids to bed. And you know, I go and I'll, I'll, I'll go in there and I'll talk to them, lay by them for a few minutes. And I went and laid down. It was my it was the night I told my son I was going to go and lay down by him. So I laid down and propped my head on my son's bed, and I was asleep on his bed at seven thirty. <laughs> then finally woke my you know kind of like shook out of it because I wasn't in like, I was just kind of leaning on the side of his bed, not in a very comfortable position and came walking out. My wife was laughing at me because it was, you know, like eight thirty, and I was just, she's like, you fell asleep. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to bed. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So sleep, sleep's uh, you got to make up for all that sleep you didn't get when you were young and pulling all nighters and being irresponsible. Right. I, I guess. Um, yeah, I, worked, I still don't uh, think I've caught up on all the sleep I lost when we were in Vegas. <laughs> Being 3.30 in the morning day, playing poker. Well, your wife was the one that was excited to be up. So I, that's how I know how excited <laughs> your daughter was. Because I remember but the it, look in your wife's eyes. It uh, was maniacal. But it infected you. You were You had no intentions of gambling right. that night. Yeah, you guys landed later than we did, uh, yes, several hours later. later. And so by the time you guys made it, it was – wasn't it past midnight local time or so when you guys – Oh, our, God, it was like one thirty to one thirty. That'd be like one thirty when we got finally, like, to your room. And uh, I remember oh, going down to the – yep. I'm up just for you guys. I'm I'm just waiting to greet you guys so I can go to bed. And then I see the look in her eyes. And she's ready to go. She's ready to gamble, yeah. like now. And I'm like, okay, let's go down to the floor. Let's go gamble. Let's, <laughs> let's go. Yep. Yeah, we got something to eat. Yeah. And uh, got out on the floor and started gambling at 2, 2.30 in the morning, uh, Vegas time. Yeah. Because you're in Vegas. That's, That's what you do is you gamble. I enjoyed that. We slept, my wife and I slept like two, three hours each night and it was like no big deal. It was, it was crazy 
how little sleep we got. And it's just, you just want, we just were there and experiencing something and we just wanted to be go, go, go. We just had to do stuff. And I, it took me two weeks after we got home from Vegas to feel like I had caught up. Um, it just from the overload of everything. So I, I hear what you're saying about sleep being a, an important commodity. I'll be getting some here soon. So I know what that's all about. Yep. No, I don't, I don't know why I crashed. Like, like I had this past week or so, like I said, uh, new year's, I was asleep early. I got a good, pretty good night of sleep. I thought, and I had to get up and work new year's day, but it was a short day for me. It was only like four hours. And I get home at like 11 something going on noon and played around on my computer till one something. And I told my wife, you know what? I'm, feeling a little tired. I'm going to go lay down for a while. I didn't wake up till six. I don't day nap. That's not my thing. I don't go to sleep in the middle <laughs> of the day and wake up four hours later. So for that to happen, and then was only up for a few hours, got sleepy, went back to bed and slept another four, five, six hours or whatever it was. So that that was the, the surprising part for me. So that's 42. That's if you want to know what you're looking forward to uh, for, for age 42, you're going to get sleepier a lot quicker, apparently, is what I can tell you. So that's I'm looking forward to uh, this summer when I'm going to be falling asleep in the middle of baseball games uh, as I'm scoring the game. Um, looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to going to uh, to the dog track out here and falling asleep while I'm betting these dogs and betting these horses. Uh, apparently, I'm just going to be sleeping all over the place for, for my age 42 year. Wonderful. I can't, you know, can't wait for all the sleep I'm going to get. Plus, I have kids that wear me out. Oh, oh seriously, I, I, I know they do. I, I man, I, being a father, I can't even imagine it. I'm not, uh, I'm not a father. I'm not going to be a father, but yeah. It, 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 I know you see the pictures and you see the videos, but you know, you've experienced my kids live and in person a few times and they're a handful. <laughs> and they're not even as much of a handful as, as some other kids. They, they could, it could be a lot worse, a lot worse. Oh no, we're lucky. I mean, we're, they're energetic, but overall they're, they're good kids. I mean, they have their kid moments, right. you know, and you just like, Oh, you just got to grit your teeth and you deal with the kid moments and the whitiness and all that stuff. But all in all, they're they're good kids, so I, I I can't complain. I couldn't have I couldn't have better kids, that's for sure. They haven't taken out a switchblade on you yet. Uh, not yet, not yet. Well, my daughter my daughter beat me and drew blood when she was little. Um, used to bonk me in the head all the time, and like I said, she kicked me in the nuts. Yeah, yeah I was an idiot. That. I didn't. I I deserved it because I left myself open to it. And I took the nut shot with her little foot. So you live and learn. I don't sit like that anymore. I don't sit open, open legged anymore. When they come running at me, that, that knee comes right across. That leg gets bent. I'll make them trip over my shins if they have to. But we have all these uh, negative drops on our board. Did you see my latest addition, uh, which is actually a positive I, drop? I, I, I did. <laughs> When we do something good, we we the few times that we do something right, like I, I guess for your Jimmy Garoppolo uh, predictions, you're you're going five and zero, oh and you 
you nailed it. You may have been joking about it, but you did nail it. So you deserve some some congratulations for that. You de- you deserve something special. You deserve what all the kids are saying to each other these days. Dilly dilly. Dilly dilly. dilly. There you from go. A freaking, so, dilly dilly. From a freaking beer beer commercial. <laughs> it has to be a beer commercial. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we're trying to get cool. We're trying to be, we're trying to do what the cool kids are doing. So I'm trying to. It, it is funny though that in in a sort of tongue in cheek joking way, I predicted the Niners five and zero finish. There it is. I I didn't think there was any chance they were going to do that. I didn't think there was any chance. But you just watch. They're going to keep this a little quiet. It's going to stay a little quiet. This hype machine. During the playoffs, as soon as we start getting into off-season football and, and the draft, and OD, oh yeah, oh you know who's going to be the hot team this next year? You better watch out for the San Francisco 49ers. They have Jimmy Garoppolo. They can't lose. They're going to be a playoff team. You just just watch. I'm telling you, just watch. You know it. Yeah, it's already started. We're going to be talking about the Niners pick as if it's going to be adding to a, a future dynasty. Oh, yeah. Uh, they go out and get a stud receiver or something like that. Oh, man. Can already see All their... July, the baseball goes into its all-star break, and all of a sudden people started reporting about uh, the NFL training camps are starting up, and everyone's talking about Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers. What are they going to do this upcoming season? Oh, it's – I'm already sick of it. Oh. Well, all right then. Well, I guess that's a wrap. You, uh, you're the host. You want to play us out with anything tonight? Oh man, uh, sure. I, I'll go. I'll go to the. I'll go to the. Uh, I'll go to the well here. <laughs> We're hey, we differ on three games this week. This thing could be over or interesting, real quick. Because One of us could be in a trap, big time. Why can't you?